This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Today, we're sitting down with Chris Clementi, the founder and CEO of Comstock Companies, a developer based in Reston, Virginia. We're drinking beers at the Palm in Tyson's, one of the most popular restaurants in the area, which is why it's so loud in here. Well, a cheers here, here, cheers. Thanks for meeting me out here. My pleasure. Did you get stuck in the traffic too? I was, I've come to Tyson's enough to know that now that the metro's here, I avoid the traffic at all. <laughs> I avoid the traffic at all. I came from D.C., so I just hopped on, hopped on the subway. Luckily, this is, this is a, a walk from the metro. Chris founded Comstock Home Builders when he was 25 in 1985. But that wasn't even his first business. I grew up around construction, mm. and I did labor in the summer times at various home building companies. And the, uh, it occurred to me that there would be a better way for home builders to manage their need for temporary labor. And I started a temporary labor company called Collegiate Manpower and offered to supply the, uh, the builders in this area with temporary labor rather than having laborers sit around on their job sites. Mm -hmm waiting for something to do, mm -hmm. and it went very well. Mm -hmm. And I worked my way through college doing that during the summer times, and we had you know, as many as 30 or 40 people working for me mm -hmm. uh, in those early summers. So then how did you transition that? It's like, you know, rather than just be on the labor side, you know, I want to be the person building the project. I got the, by the time I was done, I had transferred back to Mason because it was, it became, something that was consuming my time, much of my time, and taking away from uh, time at school. So I transferred back to Mason, and then um, I got the bright idea of, I learned how the home builders were doing, and I realized that I could do better for myself in the long run on that side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And so I started up Comstock as a home building company. Were your friends in college, like what, just enjoy college. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you, you know, taking all this time yes. doing something on the sides. <laughs> yes, simply put, yes. Uh, and but it was um, because I grew up around the business all the time, and because you have to. Things are different now. In the 1980s, anybody could get a construction loan to build anything. Yeah. With the way the market worked and the way the the capital markets worked. Um, and so it was, um, I started the, the first project I started was with a bank as a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so it was, it, it was just a different time. So it was possible to do those kinds of things. It was just a couple of years after founding his company when the savings and loan crisis hit. Chris's first bank partner was one of the many SNLs during that time that collapsed. Comstock, like every other real estate business, was in trouble. It led to a couple of tough years, but mm -hmm. it was um, uh, kept the business alive 
actually with credit cards. Mm -hmm. right. ATMs came out. <laughs> Handy invention. Which made it possible to turn plastic into cash to pay, make payroll. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how we kept the business going in the, in, during the recession. And then obviously through the Great Recession, and I read that you did all this throughout, or without doing, going through Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, and this is a, a point of pride for you. So, I mean, that's many people have taken that way out. You know, some people consider it the easy way out. So why? It would have been easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why not go through that? I'm sure you had advisors telling you to do that. It was a it was a point of pride. Mm -hmm. It was not something that uh, that I was comfortable doing, and it was I didn't want to quit. Mm -hmm. So I just kept working on it, mm -hmm. and the, what I found was there was always a better, there was always a way to work through the tough times if you were willing to roll up your sleeves and meet with the banks mm -hmm. and keep the lawyers out of the way and just figure out how to make deals that made sense for everybody. In 2004, Comstock Home Building went public, but last year the company made the decision to exit the home building business entirely and now Comstock Companies is a publicly traded commercial developer. I mean, was it tough making that decision to kind of give away the thing that, that gave you your start? I am an entrepreneur first. Mm -hmm. So I've spent 35 years trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. And so it's not the same business that it used to be. We, we saw a shift starting about 15 years ago of people changing their home buying decision to be their first homes started, the age of the first time buyers started going up. The, um, and, and their desire, the demand for condos went up. So it was just, it was more of a natural shift. So as an entrepreneur, you don't have the sentiment attachment. It's like, oh, you know, because, you know, there are some people who would be like, you know, we're home builders, dang it, you know, like we build homes, and they, they hold on to that, and that's just not the way you operate. No, it's not. <laughs> the, we're, in the, we're in the business of creating places people want to live and work and entertain themselves, and it's, um, um, so it was really just an expansion of what we were what we started out doing three decades ago. Comstock's biggest local development today is Reston Station, a 20-plus acre property that includes multiple new office towers, apartment buildings, and retail. Comstock first bought into the area in 2000 when it acquired the land for the building that still houses its headquarters today. Back then, Sunset Hills Road was the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> Sunrise Valley was the place where all the new buildings were. And so we built that building surrounded by a couple of other small buildings and some warehouses and mini storage. Mm -hmm. So they, um, uh, we've been there ever since. And that was, um, that was in part, I think we were able to win that RFP because we were in the neighborhood. And there was value, I think, to the county in the designs, the ideas that we put forth. Reston, in a lot of their minds, was viewed as um, you know, a small sub-market that couldn't, uh, could not attract big tenants unless it was Reston Town Center. And so most of the submissions for the RFP were, des were designs that included above-ground parking, 
with a little bit of retail that would serve the commuters. And so we came in with a proposal with, to put 3,500 parking spaces underground and a million and a half square feet of space above that. So as you can imagine, the economic benefit for Fairfax County was dramatically different in our proposal as compared to most of the other proposals. So I, that's how we won that, that particular RFP. And here you are, you have Google moving from Reston Town Center, which I'm sure was a, you know, a big, big moment for uh, Victor Few. I think, uh, you know, was it Rolls Royce is moving, you know, an engine division there, Spaces, I think, is, is a co-working, uh, you know, the co-working lease there. So, I mean, what was the method to your madness deciding we're going to go spec, you know, you know, even though no one else is? It was pretty easy to see that there was a hole in the market developing in terms of demand. So we knew we had the property that could attract uh, the kind of tenants that we were looking would be, that we would need to make the project successful both on the residential and the retail and the office side. And, the, uh, uh, and we knew that there was no product coming to market and that everybody else was that did have sites were focused exclusively on pre-leasing. Mm -hmm. And so it was, pretty, it was pretty easy to determine that there was an op a contrarian play. So now that you know the, the first office building is open, right? People have moved in, and uh, you have the, the big apartment building. You've seen sort of the neighborhood begin to take shape around around the metro station. So what have you learned? You know how the people are using your space. Has you know the the, the year or so since that stuff's been open, has it changed or affected the way you're planning on the future stuff? Just seeing the way people are using the spaces. The plans have evolved. I mean, when we uh, when we initially. Uh, made our deal with Fairfax County that was focused on the property we owned in uh, where our headquarters building is, uh, which was three and a half acres. And, and the county's, originally it was the county's uh, commuter parking lot, uh, bus commuters, uh, and it was eight, eight or nine acres. So it has expanded since then as we acquired the properties along Sunset, Sunset Hills uh, and, and most recently we've acquired um, what JBG used to own on the south side of the toll road. And so as that all was coming together, it has created an opportunity to develop a neighborhood. How does your thinking shift between like we're going to build a couple buildings to we're going to build a neighborhood? I guess the best way to answer that is to tell you a little bit about my interactions with Bob Simon, who was oh, the founder please. of Reston. Yeah. Uh, I had dinner with him one day as, as we were just starting our design process. Uh, and he said, he came to the site, and then we went to dinner, and he said, just don't do what everybody expects you to do. Don't build the same kind of buildings that you see everywhere along the toll road. And Chris didn't. Reston Station's first high-rise office building was designed by German-American architect Helmut Jahn, and the glassy trapezoidal figure cuts a striking silhouette, unmissable for those driving by. And it was built on spec. Because of the building's design and its prominence on the toll road, the Helmut Jahn building, we were seeing all the tenants that were coming to the market. But the, the big question in everybody's mind as we were building that first spec building was 
whether or not the market along the toll road was big enough to accommodate two rest and station kind of developments and pricing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, but what we found is that Reston Town Center is remarkable for what it was when it was developed. And it will be remarkable for years because now Boston Properties is adding to it and doing a great job attracting the, the kind of tenants and users that will help transform that neighborhood again. It was, it's not just Google. I think in the last two months, you signed anchor leases for two other office buildings. Both started on spec. Right, uh, so that both are already under construction and then both, I think, over 100,000 square feet were both both on leases, I believe. The first one, the uh, uh, Google was 150-ish, 150,000 approximately of the first building. New Star is taking 100,000 out of 180,000 in the second building that's coming out of the ground or rising above the metro station now. And the third building is fully leased to ICF Global. Mm -hmm. And so um, that one's about 215,000 square feet. So, I mean, you were building all of them on spec, so and obviously leases don't happen overnight. It's not like they knocked on your door with a you know with a term sheet. Um, but did you expect it all to kind of turn so quickly? Because you were building on spec and you had spaces, and then for a while, kind of nothing. And then you know this year, all of a sudden, you have anchor leases for all three buildings. I think what what really helps attract these uh, these kinds of companies is certainty. When you're building the buildings and creating the neighborhood and they can see it happening, it's a lot easier to attract, to get them to even take the time to come see your property. And it's certainly a lot easier to get them to make a decision to locate on your property. That's been the thinking behind starting these buildings one at a time as spec buildings. Coming up. Chris talks about Comstock's major Loudoun County project, what's next for his company, and learning from his father-in-law, renowned developer Dwight Shar. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. So let's talk about Loudon Station, which is obviously it's at the phase two, or terminus of the phase two, which I guess is now supposed to open fall next year. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully next I think, by the end of next year. I think when they voted on it, it was supposed to open 2018, if I'm not But it'll open when it opens. They're building it. Um, and you, you've come out of the ground there. You're, you know, just like with Resuscitation, you're the first mover. Um, I guess, you know, not, there's not the same amount of pacing or the same amount of excitement out there that there, that there is in Reston? Well, there's a lot of factors. I mean, obviously, having the metro station open will change the, the interest level in what's going on out there. Uh, the, uh, but that project has been a tremendous success to date. The apartments have remained 98% leased from the day we opened them, the first phase in 2013. 
and it has, even though we are out there building the phase two apartments, and it is a dense project, even with the construction noise and disruption, you know, we've maintained occupancy of the apartments. The office building that we have out there, it's small. The first office building is only 50,000 square feet. You know, it has been 100% leased since we completed it in 2015. What is it about Loudoun that no one seems to be in a hurry to build? I, I mean, I, I remember covering there. I know there's the schools issue, and so it's really hard to just build any new residential because people just assume that you know the school you, you just can't afford basically to put more people on the roads and, and in the schools. But at the same time, you know, you talk to any office user, office you know, any company, they say we need to be near our employees, and lots of their employees are in Loudoun, and yet. You know the the office demand has just not really come back, especially from the private sector since since the recession. So I guess you know it it almost feels like Loudon is kind of in like a holding pattern, where data centers and Loudon Station are the only things that are really moving forward at speed. Um, so why why do you think it's that they seem to be stuck everywhere else? Well, I think the data center business is good for Loudon County because it makes it easy for the board to bring uh, tax revenue and to increase their tax base without having to deal with the school issues, school overcrowding, and the other uh, growth challenges that come along with, the, uh, with residential development. So uh, it's not going to change. Uh, but like Fairfax is doing, they're they're going to focus. They are focused on maximizing the development opportunities around the uh, the Ashburn station, and that is to our benefit. Uh, and we bought that ground in 1999. Nobody thought the train was ever going to be a reality. When when we bought that ground, we we initially thought we were going to develop it as a residential subdivision. And it wasn't until we started our due diligence that we realized that the uh, that the train, if it ever happened, was going to be right at our front door. In 99, there's probably still a lot of cornfields. Yeah, we right? bought that land from a farmer yeah. that was retiring to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And for the first few years, we had to build the sewer uh, from about a mile and a half away. We had to extend the sewer. The road. Shellhorn Road was a two-lane gravel road, mm -hmm. and the um, the only thing out there was um, the Home Depot and the makings of that shopping center, Ryan Park. You founded Comstock 34 years ago. Uh, you're still a relatively young man, considering when, considering when you founded, and now you have had this. You know, just last year you had this reorganization. Now you're a commercial builder. What do the next 10 years look like? How do you see kind of the the longer-term future of Comstock? The, uh, there's a couple of parts to Comstock. I mean, there is the the heavy development and construction uh, aspect of what we do. Uh, we have a, um, uh, a the other part though is that we are buying, acquiring, uh, stabilized commercial assets along the Silver Line and the Orange Line. Uh, so we're not just a developer. We are buying institutional quality assets that are, uh, where, and we partner with institutions to capitalize those. Um, 
which is different than what we do with Reston and Loudon stations. We, we use mostly internal resources to do those. The, um, uh, but overall, over the next 10 years, we have, uh, as we build out the portfolio that we own, we will develop and ultimately own about 7 million square feet of mixed-use transit-oriented developments. The goal with the other part of our business is to buy, acquire, and sometimes reposition, sometimes just simply invest in uh, commercial or stabilized commercial buildings that are similar kinds of assets and because we're focused on transit-oriented and uh, mixed-use properties. I guess the other thing is the uh, uh, I've had the pleasure of having two visionaries, uh, working with two visionaries. It's not ju just Bob Simon, or maybe three if you include Helmut Jan, uh, but Dwight Schar is my partner in the commercial development, the commercial side of Comstock, and has been, um, he is a visionary. He knows, he has a sense about real estate that I've not seen in anybody else, and he's been a tremendous partner. Actually, you brought that up because I have this written down and I completely just overlooked it, but he's your father-in-law. He's for, also my father-in-law. Um, takes nothing away from him, obviously, but um, how is, I mean, what have you learned from him uh, being both, you know, I guess, you know, in the same family as well as, you know, being, being a partner? I think you work with your wife as, as well, so it really is kind of like a family, family business. There, um, Tracy also works with the with the company. She runs all of our marketing and um, all the model home decorating and common area elements. That's all uh, run by her and the marketing team. The um, uh, we are, but we're not just a family operation. I mean, there's there's about a hundred people in Comstock right now, and so I think there's. Well, I know there are um, four, we have a lot of kids, Tracy and I, we have eight children. Oh, wow. Um, and they range from four years old to 31. So they're not all in the business, obviously, but a couple of them are. And the um, and my wife and a brother-in-law are also in the, um, in the business. So there's a family aspect to it. And... But it is, it's, it's a growing company and it has, uh, uh, our goal is to create a operation that provides opportunity for everybody that walks in our door and to develop properties that are proud additions to the neighborhoods where we do work. So, I do have to ask with eight kids, so it, does it put everything in perspective? You know, you just have, at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? I have to go home. <laughs> These eight yes, but I'll also have to, I'll have to work till I'm 100. <laughs> That's true, yeah, the inheritance it's gonna be split into little pieces of pieces of pie. You've got um, a lot of college tuitions to, to worry about. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really, I really appreciate it. I appreciate, this. appreciate you making time as well. Thank you. Miriam Hall is a creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor. 